right, church. Hey, go ahead and pull out your worship guides, uh, the worship message notes. Mine fell on the ground here. Uh, but go ahead and pull these out with the Rock Church pen. We're going to go ahead and get started today. Uh, today we're starting a brand new series called Life, Money, and Hope. And what we'll be doing is that we'll take uh, the next three weeks and go over a few concepts that God gives us about money, generosity, investing, saving, tithing, and so on. And my prayer for this series, this is my prayer, is that the Rock Church would reflect God's heart on generosity. How many of you guys know that we serve a generous God? Come on, church. Like, we serve a very generous God. In fact, uh, the most, probably most quoted verse is John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten Son, that we shall believe in him, shall perish, but have eternal life. You guys are like, he's saying it wrong. I learned in King James. I learned the ESV and all the other translations. But the bottom line of that very famous scripture is God, for God so loved that he gave. God gave. And he didn't just give a little handout. He just didn't give a little kind of a jail free pass. He didn't just give out what he, what we probably thought we would need. He, in fact, he gave his one and only son. He gave everything. 100% he gave. And so, and, and not only that, but you can read through the entire, from cover to cover in your Bible, uh, but and you will see that God is, is a very generous, generous God. And so if you want to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6, that's where we'll begin here uh, pretty quick. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry, because you can look in your worship guide notes on the screens behind me. They'll be here. Uh, but as you turn there, did you guys notice like how fast fall went by? Like, it went, like, super, super fast. It seemed like we had a family faith day in the park. How many of you guys were at family faith day and back in August? That was a great time. It was really, really fun. But it seemed like from that until now, it just flew by. And it flew by so fast that I didn't get my holiday feels. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Like, the holiday feels a little bit. It's, it's, it's like when school starts, it's like, okay, now next is Halloween. As soon as Halloween's done, then it's... Thanksgiving, then once Thanksgiving's done, then it's Christmas. And usually, I, I'm a holiday type of guy. I love holidays, but this fall went by so fast that I didn't get my holiday feels. And so uh, it started kind of in October. What I noticed about North Platte when we moved here, and I, this is why I love North Platte, North Platte really gets in their holidays. Like Halloween is crazy. You go down certain streets, people are decorating and those things. I just have the cute little leaf bag with the pumpkin on the front. That's about as far as we go, right? And so I, this is why we do it. We figured the less we have, maybe the less trick-or-treaters might come and wake us up. I don't know. Just kidding. But, but that's kind of like where, where, where it starts. And so like the leaves start changing and uh, things start be, uh, just kind of going uh, for the holidays. I mean, everyone's house is being decorated. The clothes switch around for men and women. I don't know if you notice this, but sometimes in the fall, the majority of the wear for women is like boots and leggings. That's all they wear. And so and all the women are like, Woo! guys, this is what we do. We bust out our flannels and we think we can grow a beard. And so like we grow our beard, we do the whole no shave November and we go there. If you go, if you drink coffee, any coffee drinkers here, like all the coffee starts switching, right? We go from iced coffee to like pumpkin spice latte and cinnamon and all those different things. And for some reason, we'll pay an extra couple bucks to drink those. I mean, that changes. And for me, really what gets me in the holiday fields is the opening day of duck season. <laughs> oh, man, there's nothing better than waking up and it's like negative 20 below 
put on your waders, and you go out in the water, and you shoot the first gun. Anyone here like that? Just me? Okay, I I knew there's some hidden people in there. I, I knew that. I knew that. But for some reason, fall just flew by, and I told my wife I haven't really gotten in the spirit of holidays until last Thursday. You guys know what happened last Thursday? Started to snow. Now, it wasn't like snow, snow, but we had like flurries, right? So the flurries started coming down, and, and also like I got, just got pumped for the holidays. Like we took a drive, and we even listened to some Christmas music. We haven't decorated our house, thank God, for Christmas, because we're not one of those weirdos. Just kidding. If, if you did, we're glad you're here. Listen to this message. It's all good. But like, like so we started doing that, and, and for the church, I really love the holiday season for the church. We, we get excited for our Christmas series. We've got an awesome Christmas series full of uh, music coming up in the next couple of weeks. Um, but it seems like the holiday seasons, the, the church is just in a season of generosity, yeah. a season of generosity. Like, as a church, we are on our A game for giving, and not only to the church. I'm talking above tithes and offering. I'm, talk, I'm talking about how we are intentional of going out of our way and helping those who are less fortunate. Like, we are just, we're intentional. I, I saw people reposting stuff on Facebook, like the kids' class did something, or they made cards for Veterans Day, uh, and they do all these things. And it's like, for some reason, the holiday, like, like we get geared up for being generous. And this is why we're going through this series called Life, Money, and Hope. When, when life comes in ups and downs, and sometimes we have a surplus of, of money, or we have very little, during this holiday season, it, it seems like we're on point with our generosity. But for some of us, maybe it's just a hope or a like. We, we would like to be generous. It seems like no matter who I talk to, there isn't one person that says, no, I don't want to be generous, but I would love to be generous if I had enough. Oh, I wish I could meet that need if I had enough. I wish I could go out my way and, and get that kid that, birth, that Christmas present because their father's in jail, but man, I, I don't have enough. I, I walk by that angel tree almost every time in Walmart, but I just, I, I'm strapped and I, I, it's a want. I would like to, but I I can't. And for some reason, going back to the title, Life, Money, Hope, it seems like our hope fluctuates with what we see in our bank account. You guys know what I'm talking about? It's like when we have enough in our bank account, we're like, yeah, God is good and everything's going well. But when it gets down to the penny, we're like, oh, God, help us. I feel like I'm suffocating. I have bills to pay, but I don't have money to pay it. I see all these wants around me, but I can't be generous like I would like to. But there's one thing, there's one thing in the season that I realized that I have yet to come across one person that does not want to be generous. Every person I meet wants to meet a need, then they just, they just want to be generous. And that's what I want to talk about the next few weeks as we gear up for our Christmas series. Let's look at 1 Timothy 6, 9 through 10. This is a letter from Paul writing to Timothy, uh, a young pastor he was mentoring and talking about this concept uh, wrapped around money. And what I want to do here is kind of give you a little map of this morning because I, I, I know I was planning on not saying this, but I'll say it because I'm seeing it this morning, is I know when pastor talks about money, we're like, shut off, right? Like, we'll just, we'll wait till the Christmas series. We'll be pumped for that. But what I want to do this morning, what I want to do this morning is we're going to talk about some biblical concepts of money, but we're going to flip it a little bit because God goes further just than the green stuff in our wallet. 
Like, he goes way beyond that. I think a lot of times we get caught up on just thinking uh, about God and dollar signs, and it's, it's much more than that. And I want to go there, but I want to start here. This is what it says, verse 9. It says, But for those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. So stop right there really quick. For those who want to be rich, and they're consumed with being rich, and they want to do the get-quick rich schemes, and they do all this stuff, it's a trap. If you're so consumed, if that's all you're thinking about, saying, man, if I could just get a bigger paycheck, if I could just fill my wallet fuller, if I can get to a certain status in my bank account, don't fall into that trap. Don't fall into that trap. Verse 10 says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. For the love of money... I want you guys to underline, underline that there, for the love of money. I think a lot of times we confuse that. We say money is the root of all evil. Money's not a bad thing, actually. Money's actually a very good thing if you use it right. I like money. You guys like money? Come on, Christians, be honest. Do you like money? You, you're not going to argue if I gave each of you 100 bucks today, right? You're like, woo, best church ever. We're not doing that, all right? But Paul makes it very clear. He says, for the love of money. For the love of money. You see, we like things, but when you love things, it's when you go to that status of loving that it becomes very important. In fact, I would even dare say, when you start to love something, you treasure it. You treasure it. And why is that important? Because look at thir- uh, Luke chapter 13, verses 34. It's in your worship guide notes. This is why. For where your treasure is... There your heart will be also. Church, this is the bottom line why I want to talk about this. I want to talk about what you consider your treasure to be. What is your treasure? What is that treasure that you love so much that you're just so consumed about? But what is that? My wife and I, a few years ago, wanted to get better financially, and so we took a very famous class called Dave Ramsey class, a Financial Peace University. Anyone hear about that before? So we do it every spring. If you haven't done it, I encourage you to take it. But my, my wife and I, we, we wanted to get better, and so we took that class here at the, the Rock Church, and he goes through all the basic concepts of handling money, and for those of you uh, that ha- handle money well, this may sound familiar, but he goes over the numbers and helps you get out of your financial mess, and uh, he goes over five things, five things, and I'm going to break down these five financial concepts super fast, and then we're going to take it to the kind of flipping that I was talking about. But we believe also that these five things, if you can get a handle on them, it will help you, but don't stop there. But let's just lay down kind of the basics here. He talks about five things. For the first thing he goes over is your earning, right? Right? And you guys do financial class, talk about earning. If you want to get a financial mess, you got to up your earning, how much money you make. Uh, I remember my first job and actually my first paycheck. I was 13 years old. Let me say that one more time for all the young people in the room. I was 13 years old. I don't think they caught it, Becca. (laughs) 13, I got my first full-time job. 13 years old. You know what I did? You know what I did? I worked at a landfill. And what my job was, I didn't get to drive the cool bobcats, I didn't get to light the trash on fire, all the things that I wanted to do. My job was getting a very sharp stick, walking the borders of the landfill, and picking up the trash 
putting it in a contractor bag that went over onto the neighboring property. And for 20 bucks per bag, I could make 100 bucks on a weekend. That was my first job. And that's the thing that taught me. But that's the thing that Dave Ramsey, he talks, he talks about earning, which is good. You want to start learning that work ethic. Young people, it's okay to get a job. It's okay to get a job. Second thing that he talks about, he talks about spending. Now, um, I have, I'm a spender through and through, but the statistics say that the average American lives on 120% of their income. 120% of their income. That's an issue, Right? The, the third thing he says after spending, he talks about you need to start saving. And that's where you tuck away kind of a rainy day fund. You know, we shoot for three to six months of saving, that sort of thing. Um, we're learning that. I'm not the best at that, but we're learning how to save. Once that is done, then you talk about investing, where he says, you know, instead of working for your money, you're going to get your money working for you. Investing, retirement, people, uh, those who are working your retirement, you guys know what I'm talking about. And then the last thing that he talks about that actually other um, Financial people will kind of say, if you want to, it's okay to do it, but we want to advise it because you're just kind of giving it away. But the last thing, and this is what we're going to be focusing on, is giving. Generosity. And Dave Ramsey, he actually goes ahead and says, you know, you should be giving. There was a study that was done by a secular group, and they studied some of the wealthiest people in our country. And one thing that they found out is that they were extremely generous extremely generous. And just with those five things that we went through really fast, just those five things, earning, spending, saving, investing, and giving, if you can learn to get a, a grasp on that, we do believe like your finances will change, but God doesn't stop there. Because this is the kind of the meat that I want to get to. God doesn't stop there. He actually he wants you to go further than that. Turn to Haggai chapter 1, starting at verse 5. While you turn there, parents, do not name your kids Haggai. Please don't. Their nickname is Hag. It doesn't work out very well. It's not good. But, but turn there, and this is what, this is what I want to show you, because the Bible takes it to a different level, different level. The Scripture records God saying something very interesting. He says this, starting at verse 5, Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Consider your ways. You have sown much, but harvested little. How many of you guys have felt like that? I've sown a lot, but I'm not getting a lot in my harvest. You eat, but it's like you never have enough. Right? You drink, but you can never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. He who earns wages does so. It puts them in a bag with holes, right? That's kind of like someone's like life verse, like, oh, that's what I feel. Like my, my purse is just holy and just, it feels like when I'm about to reach in for some money, it's like, where did it go? And that's what Haggai is saying. And that's why the Lord, it says, thus says the Lord, consider your ways. Rethink what you're doing. Are you doing it well? And dare say, I even say it this way, are you doing it right? Because let me tell you, there's a worldly way with life, money, and hope. And then there's a godly way of life, money, and hope. And let me tell you this, they're extremely different. They're counterculture. They're like, like two opposite magnets. They can't just, just go together. They, they, it, it, it can't be that way. Our God has principles and precepts that I believe are beyond this world, and one of those includes money. 
It includes money. Haggai is telling us that we need to reconsider our ways, the way we do things. Why? Because a lot of us, those numbers that we just went through, a lot of us, we just do that. Is my earning good? Am I making enough money? Got to watch my spending. Better tuck away a little rainy day fund. I guess I'm in a better place, so I guess I can start investing a little bit. I see a need. I can give a few bucks here. And we stop there. Because I think that is what the world teaches us. In fact, even the secular world believes that we should reflect a charitable heart. A lot of people believe that. But God goes further than that. And it's for this reason, because a lot of times we feel like we're planting, but we're not harvesting anything. It feels like we keep eating, but we're never satisfied. It's like we're always thirsty, but we can never uh, quench our thirst. We put layers of clothes on, but we can't get warm. It feels like we just put our money in a bag filled with holes. So when you look in your bag, all the money is gone. And God says, reconsider your ways. Here's my prayer, church. My prayer is that we would keep an open heart, even if what we discuss over the next few moments just seems ridiculous. All right, I'm really going to challenge us this morning. Like, like, God wants me to do what with my money? Just hear me out for a little bit. Because I'm telling you, Scripture doesn't lie. And God always keeps his promises. 1 Corinthians brags about what God is, was saying in this way. I mean, this is how smart our God is. Check this out. This is what he says. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Meaning God has made a mockery of all the wisdom that we see around us. Because our God's that big. So when I go over these few things, if you can just tune out, maybe, maybe you were taught a different way, maybe you do things in a different way, j- just hear me out and then you can make your judgment after this. So let's go through the numbers again. Remember the saving, spending, earning. We're going to go through those again, but I'm going to show you what God says about it. The first point is something I like to call calling versus compensation. Calling versus compensation. At the end of the day, church, it doesn't matter how much money you make. It's not going to fulfill you. It doesn't matter how big your salary is or how extravagant your salary package is or how good the retirement stuff is. At the end of the day, it's not going to fulfill you. You can make all the money in the world, but if you're not doing what God has called you to do, that's the biggest part right there. If you're not doing what God has called you to do, you're not going to feel fulfilled. How many of you guys would like to live a fulfilled life? Right? Don't think money fulfills you. It doesn't. When you start chasing money as your fulfillment, it goes back to the very first scripture that we started reading. It says, hey, the, the, the love of wanting to be rich, it's a snare. It's a trap. Don't go into it. In fact, those who go, all it does is bring misery and pain in their lives. Don't do it. And I think a lot of times we confuse compensation for our calling. Man, I get paid really well to do this. Maybe, maybe I'm, this is my calling. You know, I'm not going to argue, it may be, but most likely if it's not glorifying God or if it's not around God's mission, it might be something that he's going to have you do, but there's a bigger purpose in that. For instance, uh, the biggest thing that changed my outlook, now I'm a minister now, so it's kind of changed a little bit, but I worked in the corporate world before this, and my biggest thing was like, God, like I, I know I'm in minister, I called to be a minister, but Lord, I, I'm working at Walmart, I'm working at screen printing shops, I'm a graphic designer. God, this isn't ministry, and the Holy Spirit interrupted and says, whoa, whoa, you've got it wrong. 
You see, what you do is an avenue of who God is calling you to go after. So, you work for the railroad. It's an avenue. Is it your calling? I would say it's a step towards your calling. There are people on the railroad that need Jesus Christ. So what better way for you to reach those people than to work for the railroad? You work at Sutherland, same thing. You're a teacher, same thing. You're a nurse, same thing. Everything that we do, do not confuse that for your why in this life. Do not confuse that. And really, this is all about finding your purpose, how God designed you, and not enough on the trap of so many that you need to reach a certain pay status or whatever and be consumed with that. This is why we talked about earlier that the love of money can really, really hurt you. The love of money can really, really hurt you. Now, this morning, if you make a lot and you make a good salary, good on you. I'm not disrespecting that. There's a lot of great wealthy people out there. But I am saying, don't make that your focus. Don't make that your focus. If I were to ask you this question, what did God design you to do? Could you answer it? That's a good thing to write down, church. If I were to ask you, why did God design you? Could you answer that? That is the thing that I want to go after. Like, do you know your purpose or... Just like many today, are you just grinding away for the next paycheck and just trudging through this life till the next? Let me tell you something this morning. God does not want you just to trudge through this life. You're not just here trying to get your way through the muck and the mire saying, Lord, come on. Acts 20, 24 puts it this way. He says this, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. What he's saying is, you know what? I, I, my money does not make up of what I do for a job or do for a living. You know, we preach about Paul all the time. And did you, did you know this? Did you know Paul, that he wasn't a full-time minister? He had a side hustle. He worked in the corporate world. I mean, we don't see that, but what I'm saying is do not get stuck in the grind saying, I'm just a nurse. I'm just a teacher. I'm just a railroad worker. I'm just working at the plant. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just. God does not want you just to be just. He has a plan. He has a purpose for you. So do not confuse your calling with your compensation. Number two, we talked about spending, but I want you to look at it this way. This is what I call contentment versus consumerism contentment versus consumerism. Luke 12, 15, he said this. He said, he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life, underline this part, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Meaning this, be content. Be content. Contentment versus consumerism. Be content. I had to learn this when I got here first in North Platte because do you know what I realized? Everyone here has awesome trucks. And I had a minivan. And I want an awesome truck. My neighbor has an awesome truck. My other neighbor has an awesome truck. My sound guy has an awesome truck. I'm just picking on you, man. I'm just kidding. I go hunting. Everyone has awesome trucks. I have a white Cheerio-filled, car seat-filled, not manly minivan. 
That is what I duck hunt in. The deer, they laugh at me. The ducks, they just fly away. They don't care. They don't take me seriously. And so I went and bought a nice Ford F-150 four-door crew cab, beautiful blue with a tan trim truck. And I thought this was going to be the life. I thought, man, I'm going to feel on cloud nine. Like I sent a picture to my dad and my brother. He's like, oh, that's an awesome truck. I'm like, I can't wait to go hunting in this. You know what I felt like three months later? Hated the truck. You know why? Because I thought, as silly as it sounds, that truck was going to fill a void in my life. That's how I treated the truck. I thought it was going to fill a void in my life. I thought it was a need, but it was a want. I wasn't content with what I have. And because I wasn't content with what I have and I didn't give it up to the Lord, I made a dumb decision to go into debt and getting a really nice truck. Now, if you have nice trucks, again, I'm not dissing on you. That's awesome. Take me for a ride. We'll go hunting together. We might get something next time. But do not treat it as a fulfillment for that void that you may be experiencing. Do not treat it to fill that void. Church, we have lost the value of being content in this life. We've lost, the average American buys a new vehicle every three to four years. A new spanking vehicle every three to four years. There's a new cell phone released every year that millions rush into to buy it just after they just used their last year's model just for a year. But they're willing to go into debt and get another phone. People are always doing something to their body. They're plumping, sucking, implanting, cutting, or whatever to make their body better. It happens all the time. Because people are not content. But we consume. And we're very good at it. Even one of the biggest days is coming up that really shows us. And it actually just made it, I just realized it was on my Google calendar as a holiday. Let, let me show you what. See, we gather for Thanksgiving and we eat and we enjoy that day, right? Usually what happens, what should happen after that day is we continue to value our family time. But what happens? We wake up at three in the morning, stand in line for hours to buy a $20 crock pot. A $20 crock pot. And it boggles my mind because this is the pastor in me, but man, we have a hard time getting here at 1030 for church. But we'll get in line to get that $20 crock pot. And it's originally $24.99. You, you, you see where I'm going with this? We're consumed with consumerism. We're consumed with it. We're not content, so we consume. Philippians gives an awesome picture of what it's supposed to look like. This is what it's supposed to look like, Christians. It says this, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Do you know what he's saying? He says, I've learned the secret. I've learned the secret. No matter what situation I'm in, whether I have plenty or nothing, whether I have a lot of food in the pantry or we're just eating rice and beans at the end of the day, I've learned the secret. This is what it is. This is what it is. Tune in. Write this down. We're blessed. No matter what situation you find yourself in, you're blessed. 
No matter if you have a truck or no truck, you're blessed. Whether you got that crock pot or not, you're blessed. Whether you got kicked out of your house or you got laid off your job, you're blessed. In fact, did you know we make the majority of the wealth in our world, just the United States alone? We are so blessed, church. Do not forget that the God in heaven that loves you. He says in scripture, he says, look at the sparrows. Are they not taken care of? How much more does your father love you? He's going to take care of you. You may not have plenty. You may be, it might be kind of scarce right now, but you're blessed. And when you have plenty and you're away from that season where you don't have anything, don't forget that you are blessed. In every situation, you're blessed. I mean, that's what I love about missions trips. <laughs> we go and we think that we're going out to help out a third world nation. And you know what usually happens? We're the ones that come back when we start getting rid of things. That's what happens. We'll take trips to Nicaragua. And the first thing that they do is like, this family lives in a trash can. And for some reason, they have the biggest smile on their face. They have nothing and they eat out of just this, the dirt. Their sewers are going through their house. And for some reason, they, they're just the happiest man. I don't have that back home. You know why? Because we just consume. We're so materialistic. We just consume, consume, and consume. And we forget that we're truly blessed. Contentment versus consumerism. Let's move on. The third one, remember we talked about the numbers of saving. They teach you how to save. And saving isn't a bad thing. The Bible says that we should actually do it, but we should save in the right manner. The Bible does warn us about saving and hoarding so much that when times get tough, we believe we can handle the situation. That we don't need to depend on anyone. That really, we've got this. I can depend on myself because I've tucked away enough. I'm good to go. The third one's called this, God-dependent versus independent. God-dependent versus independent. When it comes to money and how we save, we still need to be God-dependent. You still need, at the end of the day, need to depend on your God. Proverbs 18, 11 says this. He warns us, actually. He says, a rich man's wealth is his strong city. It's, it's like a high wall in his imagination. So the more we build, the more we hoard, the more our security walls come up. If we tuck away just enough, those walls will get high enough. We think we're invincible and nothing can touch us. I've got it. In fact, we have a term for this. You know what we call it? Financial security. I'm secure. I'm on finances. If anything happens, I'm good to go. Don't place your security in your finances. Do not place your security in your finances. We learned this as soon as my wife and I, we went to ministry. There were plenty of times where we thought we had enough in our bank, but when we did the math, uh, we didn't know how we were going to make it. Like we tucked away and we did everything we could physically do as people that we have money that we thought, okay, we're good to go, but it would never fail. Life would hit. It would always be bigger than our bank account. And God spoke very clearly. He says, do not put your hope in your bank. Don't put your hope in the green stuff because guess what? That stuff, it goes. It's gone. It gets spent. It gets lost. 
It gets bankrupted. But you know who doesn't? God. God. God-dependent versus independent. There's a verse that's not in your notes, but I want to share it with you. It's Proverbs 30, 8 through 9. It's a prayer, and it says this. It says, remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who's the Lord? Lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of God. He's saying, Lord, don't let me be poor. Don't let me be poor because I might steal and curse you. But God, don't let me get so rich because then I think I won't need you. Church, you need to be dependent on your God. He's your stronghold. He's your refuge. He's your firm foundation. He's the cornerstone which you can put all your weight in this life on. He can handle it. And he can manage it. God-dependent. Be God-dependent. Don't be so independent where you don't think you need him. Because that is when life is going to hit you the hardest. Number four is this one. Stewardship versus ownership. Stewardship versus ownership. If there was a principle that taught me anything on how I handle my money, it was this. And it was the biggest thing as the sole income provider and as the man and trying to take care of my family. Like, I had to realize this concept. I don't own anything. I don't owe anything. God has it all. Let that sink in just for a little bit. I don't owe anything. God has it all. Remember the parable of the talents? You guys remember that? And this is why it's such a hard concept to grasp because the money we see is the money that we put our hours in, right? We work that overtime. We worked that 40-hour a week. We did those things. We got the education so we can make this much money. This money, if I make it, it's mine, right? If you look at Scripture, Scripture is clear and says you don't owe any of it. We don't owe any of it. In fact, we're stewards. Here's a better way to put it. We're managers of what God has given us. We're managers of what God has given to us. We're not owners, but we're his managers. In fact, Scripture goes further and teaches us that we can even leverage these things for eternal gain. And this is what I want to talk about, is that we're, not, we're, we're stewards, not owners. But even though as we steward the things that God has given us, we're supposed to use everything that God has given us in this world to leverage it for his kingdom gain to reach the lost, to spread the fame of Jesus Christ. Everything that we do is to point to that. I don't own any of it, but I'm just a manager of what God has given to me. Again, with the, with the parable of talents where, where he, gives the, he goes up to his servants and he gives each one a, a sum of cash and he says, I'm going away for a while. Uh, do what you think what's best for this. And he comes back and he realized that two of the servants, they invested it and made more, thus helping his kingdom out. But the one servant decided to hoard it and bury it in the ground just to be safe and be secure. And the owner says, you wicked servant. I'm going to take what I've given to you and split it up with the two others. Here's the thing that I had to wrap my mind around. Our God is a risk-taking God. And because of that, he wants us to go out, and even though it may not make sense, 
even though the world says it's totally different, even though it might not make sense to our parents or whoever it may be, or the math doesn't add up at the end of the day, God wants you to leverage the things that he's given you for kingdom gain. That's what he wants you to do. I mean, th- th- this is why, th- th- this is why, and this is so huge, this concept alone has, has changed my, my, how my wife and I ha- handle money. And get this, it's more than our tithe. It's way more than the offering. It's way more than when we pass the buckets here in a few moments. It's a lot more than that. So please don't think I'm saying, hey, we need to give to the church so we can do more things. No, 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 no. Here's, here's the concept I think we get confused, is that you are the church. And so when you go out, the money that God has given to you, what are you doing with that to bring people in a closer relationship with him? It goes beyond this. It goes beyond what we do here this morning. It's beyond our tithe and beyond our giving. It's about also what we keep for ourselves. We want to use the money, every single penny, according to God's word. We know that God, you've given us and that we're going to give to the church and we know that you want us to keep some of it, but God, even the stuff that you want me to keep, what do you want me to do with it? Have you asked that question? It's so weird when you do it. Like, we, we've done it, I'm like, and a lot of times God will ask us to do things that don't make sense. This is why if you look at Matthew 6, 19 through 20, it says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and uh, rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in. Meaning this, the things that we do here that God has given us that we're supposed to leverage for his kingdom gain is not for worldly gain, but for eternity. A wise man put it this way. He says, you can't keep anything with you, but you can send it on. The things that you do here, when God blesses you, when you get that paycheck, the money that you get, what are you doing? Is it glorifying God? There's a cool little parable in Matthew 13, 44. It says this is the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered it up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells that he has and buys that field. I believe if you switch the idea that you're stewarding God's money, then you're owning what you have gotten. It'll make all the difference in the world. Because really the true treasure church is God. It's Jesus. And God knows that we are just carnal human beings and we're going to follow the green stuff wherever it goes. That's how we work. It happens at the very beginning of time. Everything in this world comes down to money, right? If you want to get a house, you got to have money. If you want to buy a car, you got to have money. If you want to have a baby, you got to have money. (laughs) Now there's people like, (laughs) I I bet you back in the day before it happened, they thought it was ridiculous, but now we buy water that's already bottled because someone thought people are going to use money to buy this. It all comes down to money, and God knows that. He knows that. He knows what it's like in this world. And so he's saying, you know what? Because I know if, if, if you put your treasure into what is most important, your heart's going to follow that. And the true treasure this morning is Jesus Christ, church. But does your money reflect that? And trust me, this is so hard to preach because I, I'm just like you. I get a paycheck, and it's hard cutting that thing and paying the bills and doing those things. But I also know I see what God can do when I give it up to him. 
Let me go ahead and give you the last one. Miss this one. Generosity versus misery. Generosity versus misery. Do you guys know what a miser is? The word miser is actually where we kind of get the word misery from, but it's in the word misery. But a miser is a person who hoards wealth and spends, gives, invests as little as possible. He hoards as much as he can, but anything besides that, he, put, he, he doesn't do that. That's called a miser. And did you know every person, I've met a few of them, every one of them find themselves in misery. They're paranoid. They're full of anxiety and stress. They think, oh, something's going to happen, something's going to happen. I need to save, 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 not give, 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 give. I don't know who you are, but I don't trust you because this is my money. And it's, it's, they're a miser, and they live in a life full of misery. Scrooge in the Christmas story is a miser. See how, how he acts, right? Don't be a miser. Every person I know that just hoards wealth and clenches their fists and on every single penny, they're just miserable people, and they live in a miserable life. Now, I said in the beginning of the message, our God is a generous God. God does not hoard. God is not a miser. God is generous. It's actually, I believe, one of the core things of who he is. He loves being generous. I believe with all my heart that the best way to thank God for his generosity is be an example of God through our generosity. In the church and outside the church, Acts 20 and 35, that's why he says this, it is more blessed than to what, church? Give than to receive. It's more blessed to give than receive. Why? Because God first gave to us. He first gave to us. We as the Rock Church, we are are huge on giving. Through the year, we sponsor local charities. We give to schools. We we did a serve day where we took it all out of our bank account to bless other people. Uh, We took a Sunday and volunteered. We helped small businesses by using their services at our events. Every year in the last part of November through December, we actually have a Christmas offering where we receive a special offering that's above our tithe and split in three ways. And I'm going to talk about this for a little bit to let you know what's coming down the pipeline. It splits in three ways. The first way is for our church. And let me tell you, we have something very exciting coming down the pipeline for our church. Just a little sneak peek. We've got about 40 kids already back there in a packed kids wing. So we got to figure out what to do about that. The second way we split it is locally. And we'll announce this as well, whether it's a school or a charity. And the third way is globally, where we're going to split the Christmas offering, where we share with our Nicaraguan missionary, Mauricio Rodriguez. But what I want you to know is two-thirds of that goes outside these four walls to help other people. Everything that we do, we take a hope offering once a month where when people come in, if they need help, they need gas paid, they need medical bills paid, they need some glasses, they uh, need uh, groceries, whatever it is, we're able to say yes. Everything that we do here, our council can testify to this. Everything that we do here, we make sure it contributes to our community because it's bigger than us, church. It's bigger than the rock church. Why do we do this? Why is it so important? First Timothy chapter 6, verse 18. It's the last verse of the day. This is what he says. This is what Paul is telling us to do. He says, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Church, are you ready to share? Like, that's a question you have to ask yourself. Are you ready to share during this season of generosity? Verse 19, uh, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so it's good to say, so that they may take hold of what which is truly life. There's a math equation in here. Did you guys see that? 
math equation. You save up for your security, right? You got your stuff, the rainy day fund, you're good to go so that you can take hold of what is truly life. What is truly life, church? Generosity. That's what he's saying right there. To be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Why do, why do we do this? Why are we generous? Wanting to be charitable. Why do we enjoy being generous with what God has given us? Because that is what this life is all about. You want to make a difference in this life? Do it out of your generosity. It's not hard. It starts with just a little step. And you can do some incredible things if you allow God to work through you in your generosity. And this is the foundation of this series, this little mini-series that we have. These five concepts that God's way on handling money and looking at numbers is this. Last point, God's way works. His ways work. And like I said, the world will look at this and say, that's nuts. Nah, I don't think that's wise. It doesn't make sense. But let me tell you, and it's from my firsthand experience, is that God's ways, they work all the time and every time. He's never left us hanging. He's never left us needing more. He, he gives us just enough. He gives us just enough. And let me tell you, if there's a day where we come up and just like the rest of our jobs, we get pay increases and we work our way up the ladder and those things, God still is more than enough. Because at the end of the day, if everything's wiped away and we have nothing, we still have our God. And that is what matters. Let's bow our heads and pray.